0: All right, good morning. Okay, Drew, before you get too far down away, I just want to say thank you to you. You were amazing. Good work. Good work. She envisioned that whole thing, recruited all these churches, worked together with Prevention Central, coordinated like 250 volunteers, and, and it was a monsoon on Friday. like It was like tropical storm, and then today, I guess it's kind of a monsoon today. So like in between, it was perfect, and I said to my wife, I hope that Drew can sense God's hand of favor on her leadership, because it is absolutely awesome, and the whole community is blessed by it, so we, we really appreciate her. And you guys were fantastic, so thank you, thank you for being there enjoy the t-shirt. All right. Today, we're going to wrap up a study that we started three weeks ago. We are doing it with churches all over South Florida. So perfect timing. And we're calling it Awaken. Live like it matters. So what are we doing? Collectively, we're coming to the Bible. And as the church in South Florida, we're saying, God, we have a question. Here's the question. What does it look like for us to be awake really to you? What does it look like for us to be awake to your love and to your mercy and to your grace and to your justice and to your wisdom and to your power and to your presence and to your passions? What does it look like to be awake to you and very significantly to your mission? What does that look like? And don't just teach that to our minds. Teach it to our lives. In other words, Lord, by your spirit, come and wake us up that we might live lives that matter. And here's what I want you to see today as we wrap the whole thing up. That unless God wakes us up, we will not wake up. And that God won't wake us up if we don't pray. Just let that sit. There it is. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord. No, no, no. God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. It doesn't even rhyme. It's bad poetry. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, here's the people. What am I talking about? I'm talking about unrelenting, unremitting, persevering prayer for the spiritual awakening of God's people here in South Florida. Now, wait, hang on, I'm not done. That actually expects God to move in a miraculous way. Why don't we pray? When you get down underneath it, it's because it's like, well, I don't know, does it make a difference? Does it not make a difference? Do I actually expect, hang on a second. We live in a world that has been supernaturally created. We live in a world that is supernaturally sustained. When we go to the Bible, who who do we find there? We find the record of a supernatural God. When we make our way through the pages of church history, who do we find there? We find a supernatural God working in and through his people again and again and again and again in miraculous, incredible, and amazing ways. Miraculous, incredible, and amazing ways. I don't know about you, but I want to see that. And I think it's tied in some sense to what I expect. What we experience of God is tied to what we expect from God. If we don't expect much, I don't think we get it. Jesus went to Nazareth. You remember that? They've heard all about all of the miracles that he's done. But then they start analyzing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Hang on a second. This is Joseph's son, right? Like his mother, that's Mary. His brother is this person and this person. We know his sisters. They're all here with us. What does Jesus say? He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, in his own household, he says. And it says that he did very little there because of their unbelief. I think we need to take our belief factor up a notch and expect more. So with that in mind today, we finish our journey In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, where Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, says this. He says that when they were released, I'm going to stop there. I know we're four words in, super frustrating to some of you who like progress. But wait a minute. Who's the they? And what are they released from? Well, if you go back up into the chapter, what you realize is that they here are Peter and John, two of the foremost apostles and disciples of Jesus, and they were just released from prison. Okay, so there's a little explanation behind that too, because you're, maybe if you don't know something about them, you're like, I assume they were good guys, you know, like, why were they in prison? Well, they went to prison for healing a man who had been lame for more than 40 years and who for more than 40 years as a lame man begged for money at one of the gates to the temple in the city of Jerusalem that was the nerve center of the city in that moment, in that city. So in other words, all the religious activity happened there. All the financial activity, for the most part, happened there. The legal activity happened there. Like everything in the city, for the most part, happened up in the courts of this temple, So everyone in the city is constantly going in and out of the gates of the temple. And when you lay at one of the gates of the temple begging for money for more than 40 years, because you're lame, everybody in the city comes to realize you're lame and they know who you are. They probably knew his name. We'll call him Bill. His name was Jim, but we'll call him Bill. Oh, that's Bill. Hey, Bill, how you doing? You know, I'm going to work. Hey, Bill, have a good night. I'm going home. You ever lived in a big city? I lived in the city of Chicago for a while. When we got married, we lived there for a while. And I walked the same route every day, back at six blocks, every day to work. We didn't have a car. It was actually kind of nice. And every day I would pass the exact same people asking for money. And at some point, I kind of sort of knew them. I did that for like two years. This guy's been here for 40 years. Everyone knows Bill. So you're like, okay, so they healed Bill why did they go to jail for that? I mean, I, I mean, well, how did they do it? That's one thing. But like, why did they go to jail for that? Because that, that seems like that is a good thing. And it is. But they went to jail because they healed this man in the name of Jesus. And they healed him at the gate of the very temple that is run by the very same religious leaders who not long prior to this healing of Bill had crucified Jesus. And then to make matters worse or better, depending on how you look at it, Bill was super excited like bill didn't need to go to rehab bill could all of a sudden walk he gets up fully healed able to walk it's a miracle that's what that is he gets up and he clings to peter and john and he follows them into the temple courts you know and they're packed with people and people start to recognize bill except he's standing he's walking he's dancing he's running he's shouting he's excited bill And through the crowd ripples this excitement like, what the heck happened to Bill? And they demand to know the answer. And Peter sees
1: as this crowd gathers around him the opportunity to do what? To exalt Jesus who does what? Miracles. He does. And he says, all right, so if you guys want to know what happened here.
0: Uh, he was healed in the name of Jesus. You, you guys all remember Jesus, he says to them. You know, you know Jesus, right? Because not long ago, you were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. You got all fired up because the religious leaders of this temple opposed him. And they got you all fired up. And then you demanded that he be crucified. Pontius Pilate came forward with a murderer and with the Son of God and offered to release one or the other to you. You chose the murderer. You remember Jesus? You killed him. And God has vindicated him by raising him from the dead. This man stands before you because he has been healed by the power of the name of Jesus. Which makes you think that
1: there's power in the name of Jesus. Like, I don't know. You start going, maybe I should expect more. Something, isn't it? And people get converted. like like, They're like, I'm giving my life to that Jesus.
0: (laughs) Can I be forgiven for that? Because, you know, yes. But the religious leaders, as you can understand, are none too excited about this, and these guys have their own sign of soldiers. So they send their soldier force out into the crowd, and they grab Peter and John, they're like, "You've got to get them out of here." And they put them in prison, they interrogate them, they accuse them of all kinds of things. They threaten them, and think about the threats, because they're real. These guys orchestrated the death of Jesus. Now, this is a little bit of an inopportune moment for them to crucify Peter and John, but they're patient.
1: They're playing the long game. The threats are real. They threaten them, real threats,
0: and then they send them out. And Luke, again, he says that when they were released, they, Peter and John, went to their friends. They went to the church And they reported with the chief priests and the elders who, at least from an earthly perspective, had all the power. These guys had all the political positions. These guys had their own soldiers. These guys had virtually unlimited resources. These guys had the media in their pockets. These guys were the recognized leaders of the community. Again, they had organized the crucifixion of Christ. They got the Romans to go along with it. They got the crowd to go along with it like... They are really, really powerful, and they reported to them what the chief priests and the elders, these guys who seemed to have all of the power, had said to them. And then what did the first century Christian church do? Because it's instructive. They said, Man, we've got to fire up a bunch of new programs. You know what? I think we need to take a look at our organizational and leadership structure. Let's bring in a consultant. Hey, you know what? We need to rebrand. Let's bring in a marketing firm. We're going to rebrand. We're launching a new website. We're launching a new app. We're going to increase you know, our revenue. We need to change our facilities a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of things here that we need to do. need a PR guy. Oh, I know. We need to vote better people into office. Let's do that because these guys are terrible. They're crushing us. We need to vote as one. We need to run our candidates. I'm going to stop and say they didn't do one of those things. Not one And I say that as a fan of maybe all of them in some moment in time. I think all of those things can be incredibly helpful. I'm not actually opposed to any of those. I'm just pointing out that that's not what they did, and what they did do is very instructive. All of those things are like gasoline on a fire. Okay, but first you got to have the fire. Otherwise, you just make a big stinky stain in your
1: driveway. It's all you got, and the gasoline just evaporates. Leaves this oily
0: residue. And I feel like that if we've learned anything in 2020 and 2021, it's that. And the reason that I say that is because if you rewind the tape to 2019, wouldn't that be lovely? Like, we all look at that and go, man, I kind of like to do that. Can we go do that? It makes me feel better. You know, like, if you rewind the tape back to 2019, what did we have? We had strategies, we had a program, we had people, we had talents, we had gifts, we had resources, we had ability. We had all of this that We were feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then came 2020 and 2021. And by the way, some wonderful things have happened through the church in 2020 and 2021. Not mitigating or speaking against any of that, not denying it, celebrating it but it was the perfect tsunami of stuff to do what? To undress us. It's kind of like, Lord, I'm feeling
1: pretty good about the church, 2019. He's like, really? Let's take the clothes off and take another look at the patient. (laughs) We saw some things that maybe weren't as exciting.
0: I'm going to make some sweeping generalizations, so hear that. They don't apply to everybody. I've said this once, at least in the past. I think we discovered that in part, at least, we we tend to be more American than Christian. I don't think that's a good thing. We, We can tend to be more of a consumer than a contributor. I don't think that's a good thing. Here's one other thing. One out of every three people who are attending church there at the well-dressed end of 2019 have dropped out of the church entirely. So what am I trying to say? I'm saying that strategies are not enough and programs are not enough and personality is not enough and talent is not enough and gifts and abilities and resources. None of those things are enough. They're wonderful. We need them. They're like sails on a sailboat. Picture a sailboat and picture you on it in the middle of the Atlantic. How excited would you be if you had no sails? Not at all. You need sails. But you also need
1: something only God can send. And that's wind. That's wind. And the whole point
0: of the message is that God only sends the wind to to praying people. To people who realize, hey, you know what, I'm not enough, and you're not enough, and we're not enough, and all of our gifts and abilities and talents and reason, none of those things are enough. Like, we, are, we, we look at the mission and we're going, uh, no, we're, we're just, we're not enough. <laughs> we're not, God, and we humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, but you are enough, and you are a miracle-working God. You move by the power of your spirit through your people. We'll talk about it in a minute. We'll see this. We see it in history again and again and again and again and again and again. And again. The church is in shambles and then God moves and it's anything but shambles. It's amazing. And who gets the credit? He does. And as soon as ego gets involved, then it's over. It's remarkable. So knowing this, these people pray. I mean, they're helpless before their enemy. Earthly speaking. They have no power. They got nothing. So they come to the Lord and they say, listen to what they say. Verse 24, sovereign Lord. Who what? Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. We are going to start our prayer with God and who he is. And he is the God who is in control of absolutely everything. He transcends absolutely everything. He has authority over absolutely everything and everyone, including these chief priests and these elders and these people who not long ago crucified Jesus and who now are are setting their targets on us. They can't do anything apart from you, Lord. Lord. You're the sovereign Lord, and Jesus becomes their example. They go back into the Old Testament, way before Jesus is even born. They go back to the Psalm, Psalm 2, and they say, listen, you're the God who, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, looked forward in time to our first century day when Jesus was going to be here, and exactly you look forward to what these same powers that are threatening us right now did and would do to Jesus. And then you said by the Holy Spirit through David in Psalm 2, why do the Gentiles rage? The idea being against God. Doesn't even make any sense. And the peoples, well, they plotted. Like, why would they do that? They plot in vain. Don't they realize that it's a vanity? Why is it in vanity? Because they're plotting against God. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers of the earth and all the people that they govern, they are in the city of Jerusalem We're gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, who is Jesus. And we know that they see it this way, that they're interpreting Psalm 2 this way, because then they give us their interpretation. They say, for truly in this city of Jerusalem, there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod, who was a king, Pontius Pilate, he was a Roman procurator or governor of this whole region of Judea, and their soldiers, along with the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel to do what? Whatever their hands and whatever their plans predestined to take place? Nope. But it kind of looked that way. They gathered together to do whatever your hand, O sovereign Lord... Whatever your plan, O king of the universe, had predestined to take place. And so they start their prayer by recognizing that even the most powerful forces of opposition and evil in this world that stand against Christians and the church are nothing more than pawns in the hands of the sovereign Lord who takes even the most evil things that they seek to bring against us and turns them into good. Our problem is not that we fear the opposition too much. Our problem is that we fear the Lord too little. And Jesus is the perfect example. It's the example they give. They're like, man, you know, these guys, they, they arrested your perfectly innocent son. They, they beat him. He went along with this. He knew the program. He knew what was going on. They scourged him. They crucified and killed. They murdered the only innocent man in the whole universe. It's the ultimate act of wickedness. And you, God, turned that around and used it for good. How? By accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, is that which covers over my sin and your sin and anyone who will come to him. Hey, there is a payment to be made by by us to God. And we can't. But he can. That's the idea. We claim his sacrifice and we go, that's my payment. He's my savior. He's my Lord. And in that we are forgiven and we find everlasting and eternal life. It's like God took the whole mess and he turned it upside down. And what these people realized is, man, before it even happened, you told us it would happen. And we see now how even their most wicked things were just serving your purposes in the end. So having settled their hearts and minds on who God is relative to those who were threatening them in that particular moment, here's their request, and I love it. Verse 29, they say, now... Lord, look upon their threats and do what? Because if we just stopped there and went instinct, we would say, and protect us from these people. We want you to protect our church. We want you to protect our school. We want you to protect our kids. We want you to protect our bodies, our hearts, our minds. Like, please, you know, give us safety, give us security, or, or, or give us also justice. Like when they come and they do all of this stuff, it's completely unjust. Avenge us, etc. I don't know. I mean, that's where I go. Listen to where they go. Now, O Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants the ability is the idea to continue to speak your word. How? With all boldness. While you get us in more trouble by continuing to stretch out your hand to heal and miraculous signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, which just gathers more people together, which we then get to preach to, which then upsets the authorities who, wait, they don't have all the power, do they? But it feels like it. And every time this happens, we get closer to being killed for this. They're like, yeah, you know what? There's something more important at stake. Whoa. Because when you do that, and they gather, and we say, well, guess who did this, really? Because it isn't us, it's Jesus. People go, okay, then I need to know him. They're like, we'll risk this over here if you'll use all of this. And even our own suffering and death. Like, I mean, the apostles were, you know, with the exception, I guess, of one, we are all martyred. Like, wow, that didn't end well. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. Look at
1: the time, you know. It ended in heaven. So there's that. Could not have ended better. And what did that do? What it did is it gave us a Bible
0: that we can believe in for lots of reasons, and that's one of the most compelling. You don't think that if they could have produced the body of Jesus, they would have done that. The Romans wanted to kill Christianity. So did the Jews. They couldn't. It wasn't there. And you don't think that if they could have coerced one of these guys to say, yeah, you know, we actually made all this stuff up about a risen Jesus, that they would have done it. You don't think that was on the table. You don't think that was negotiated into the deal. If you don't do this, then we're going to do this to you. Peter's like, okay, you can crucify me upside down because I can't unsee what I've seen. And I've seen a man defeat death. And his name is Jesus. That's quite the authentication, actually, of the message of the Bible. And if you're wondering what God thought of the prayer of these people, we find out in the next verse, verse 31. Luke says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was, I think, literally shaken. Now, I know some people go, well, maybe they were just metaphorically shook like in their hearts. I'm like, why are we doing that? Why wasn't it literally shaken? I mean, it seems to be the most natural reading of this. That's me expecting less this is saying, no, expect more. It was literally shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And what I'm trying to get across is that there's no program, that there's no strategy, that there's no plan, that there's no personality, that there's no amount of talent, there's no amount of giftedness, there's no amount of resources that can shake a room, that can shake a life, that can shake a family, that can shake a church, that can shake the church that can shake a part of the world that is South Florida, a nation.
1: We cannot do that. But he can do that. He does it in response to our prayers,
0: in response to the confession of our sin, in response to the confession of our faithlessness, in response to the confession of, "Ah, I haven't expected enough of you. I have undersold you. There's been a metaphorical shaking going on here, and I I really like that's less, I think, than what you're offering.
1: And it's us going, God, we really want you to move. We desire to see
0: you do what only you can do, and everything we've tried has failed. So on our own, we got nothing, but we have our sails up. Send the wind. That's the way it works. And it works in the Bible and it works in church history. Dr. A.T. Pearson, who was a 19th century missionary, um, you know your old one, that's your best picture, okay? Like, how old was he? That's, that's it. There was no iPhone. There was, you know, like, really a remarkable guy. He was a missionary, a pastor, an author. I studied revival. And he gave us a truism about it. He says, There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in United Prayer. He's right. Just go through them. Three Great Awakenings. How did the first one start? It began on Monday, January 1, 1739, when John and Charles Wesley and George Whitefield and 64 others gathered together for a night of prayer and of worship in the city of London. And listen to what John Wesley writes. He sums it up. He says this. He wrote, he said that at about 3 a.m. Okay, I just want to pause there for a minute. Did you hear that? At about 3 a.m., Listen, if I'm up at 3 a.m., you know why, okay? Like, I'm not happy about it. it. At about 3 a.m., they went to the prayer meeting, and then nobody went, hey, I thought we were going to wrap this up, you know? <laughs> like, about 9 p.m., I'm wanting to sit on a couch with my noise canceling headphones on and listen to the call map and read a book. Like, unrelenting, unremitting, persevering. These guys are going after it hard. God has created a desire in them, a passion that says, no, I mean, I will sacrifice sleep, I will sacrifice... Like, I want this. At about 3 a.m., the power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many fell to the ground, metaphorically. No, really. And as soon as we recovered a little, he said, from the awe and amazement at the presence of His majesty, we broke out with one voice and we said, we praise Thee, O Lord. We acknowledge thee to be the Lord. On Friday of that same week, they gathered for a day of prayer and fasting until about three p.m. When George Whitfield recorded in his diary, he said, "We parted with the full conviction that God was going to do great things among us, and man did He. Wow, amazing things! See the same thing in the Second Great Awakening, which came shortly after the American Revolution, and at a time in our history in which the church was, guys, all but dead." Please hear that. So John Marshall, who was the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court in that day, wrote to the Bishop of Virginia, and he told him that in his opinion, the church, he says, is too far gone ever to be redeemed. Thomas Paine said Christianity will be forgotten in 30 years. And then revival came, and it came first to Great Britain in response to a prayer movement called the Union of Prayer. Union of Prayer, United Prayer movement. It's kind of cool, right? The Third Great Awakening is the only one to start in the United States. It started on Fulton, in Fulton Street, New York City, with a man named Jeremy Lanfear. He was a businessman, a Christian, obviously, and he had a passion to see people come together to pray for the country. So he started posting notices around New York City, which had about a million people in it at the time. Obviously, it's grown a bit since then. And, and so, but he's expecting, I think, more people than came. So day one, Wednesday, number one, six people. He didn't give up. Wednesday, number two, 14 people. Wednesday, number three, 23 people. Those 23 said, you know, we don't need to do this just on Wednesday. Let's just do this all the time. We're going to do this every day. They started gathering together every day at noon for one hour to pray And within a few months, the whole city of New York was filled with people praying. Great halls rented. Big churches filled and spread throughout the United States. Then it went across the pond and it went to Great Britain. Went to Australia, Korea, India, Scandinavia, Germany, Africa, Brazil, Mexico. Then it came back to the United States and Canada and they did not have the internet.
1: I tell you these stories to go, man... What God has done, God can do. I think he'd like to do it. Why would he not like to do it? I think the last few years have been good for
0: us. And I, I hope that what they've done is humbled us before God and said, you know what, Lord, come on, bring it. We, we want to see you move. And so we're going to pray that, that you will move, right? And it's not going to be now I lay me down to say, no, God is great, God is good. I, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door. I do kind of like the people part, I'm not going to lie. But it's fun, Right. But it's silly. Frivolous prayers that I'm not expecting a thing. (laughs) I'm just doing it because I think I'm supposed to. And okay, all right, now I feel better. And No, 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 forget all that. Unrelenting, unremitting, persevering prayer that lays hold of God. And says, God, we want to see a spiritual awakening. We want to see it in our hearts and lives. We want to see it in this church. We want to see it in the church. We want to see it here in South Florida. We want to see it happen And we're coming to you with faith
1: for it. Like, we're daring to believe that you, Lord, will do that. Pray like that.
0: See what he does. So back in August, August 28, I remember the date. It was the day before my birthday. It was the day that I was diagnosed with the Delta variant of COVID, uh, which was terrifically inconvenient. Thankfully, it was not a big deal for me. It has not, uh, that's not been the case for everybody. I understand that. So I'm grateful. Um, but you know like the day before I was feeling a little crummy. I tested negative. I thought that's eh, fine You know, we had this church united event scheduled for the next morning at coral ridge And I was actually supposed to help lead it and beth was supposed to be a part of it And and so we were really excited about being a part of it I got up that next morning and it was a thursday and I felt worse and I thought man if I show up, you know Wiping my nose and I, you know, these guys are going to treat me like a leper So I need to at least be able to say I tested again today and again i'm negative I was convinced it was a cold and it was not a cold so I didn't go, and she couldn't go, obviously, Um, so we just stayed home, watched it online. So like we're 10 minutes in, and my wife says, I feel like I just need to go pray in the other room, which might sound weird to you, but it's not a weird occasion in our house, so that was pretty normal. You know, I'm like, okay, all right, go go pray in the other room. So she goes to pray in the other room, and she's in the other room for an hour and a half. And I'm not sure weeping and wailing is too large of a description. Like, I can hear it coming from the other, like she said afterwards, I thought you were going to think I was crazy, you know. And I said, no, actually, I thought it was beautiful. Like, it was amazing. I I think that's incredible. But what was really neat about that experience and her time with the Lord as she's praying for the the gathered churches here in South Florida as, as they're gathering, is that she felt like God just brought her phrases, just little phrases, pour it out. She'd just stay with pour it out until she felt like the Lord lifted that phrase and gave her a different one. Break the chains. She'd just stay with that until she felt like God said, no, no, I got another one for you.
1: My favorite one, let it begin. Let it begin. Let it begin. Let it begin. Like at the end of it, she's laid out on the floor. I came, I just put a blanket on her and left. Let it begin. Look, unless God wakes us up, we're not going to wake up. Okay, we agree. All right, good.
0: We can't wake ourselves up. God won't wake us up unless we pray. And we won't pray if we don't really expect something to happen. Will we? Start expecting something to happen. Because I think your experience and your level of expectation is at least to some degree attached Lord, we want you to let it begin. Because, hey, here's the deal. We got the sails. We're putting them up left and right, and manning them as best we can imperfectly, But nevertheless, it's true for us, true for the church in South Florida. Like the sails are up and they're going up.
1: Send the wind. Let it begin. So
0: I want to challenge you to begin to pray. And I know you're like, I, I, I pray. But like, like really begin to pray. And to begin to pray about this, okay? Pray, first of all, for boldness. Take the example of these people and go, you know, if we talk about Jesus, we're going to get some persecution. And I'm just going to go ahead and embrace that. Because Sovereign Lord, you're in charge of that. And I'm going to step out. And I need you to give me the courage to live for you on mission to speak to this person or that person or these people or whatever. You know, sometimes the people are closest to you. Those are the ones that are the most intimidating because it's like you got the most to lose. Talking to strangers, it feels like that's easy. I mean, the worst is they're going to go, oh, that's a weirdo, you know. Okay, well, you know, maybe you're right. I don't know. Lord, give me boldness to live for you. Give me boldness to open my mouth as we saw last week. Philip did this. It says he opened his mouth and then he spoke. He talked about Jesus. Secondly, I want you to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you are like, oh, I'm a Christian. Obviously, I have the Holy Spirit. I mean, I couldn't even become a Christian if God didn't give me the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit has to wake me up. He has to make me alive to Jesus and give me the very faith by which I embrace Christ. Yes, I agree with all of that. And then the Bible comes and says, be continually filled by the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit, here it says. Be filled by the Spirit, here it says. Be filled, again it says, again and again, be filled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Come and be filled. Paul says, be intoxicated, not without but with the spirit think about the effect of that like that's a really vivid description alcohol affects our walk our speech the way we see the way we move react the
1: decisions we make we got to agree on that okay so he's like yeah with the spirit though we
0: are to be a spirit-filled people We talk a lot about the Father and we talk a lot about the Son and rightly so. The ironic thing is that the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence in the world today. He is the gift giver and he is the gift empowerer.
1: We don't spend a lot of time on him. Practically speaking, man, what we need
0: is to be filled by the Spirit. And then lastly, third, final challenge... Um, Come to the Church United Night of Worship. It's going to be at Calvary Chapel, 630, not this Wednesday, but the next, so December 1. We'd love to have you there. Uh, People from the congregations of all of these different churches in Broward County and Palm Beach and a few even from Dade are going to be coming up. We're going to gather together. We're going to worship together. We're going to celebrate all that God has done through his people. And there's a lot to celebrate. Things like yesterday is a phenomenal thing to be
1: able to celebrate. But we're going to pray together and ask for the lord to wake us up. Okay? All right. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we we do pray for you to move. Oh God, quicken faith in us. Lord, make us believers not just in
0: Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, but in the work of the spirit of the living God who is alive and well. Come to life in your people. Fill this place with you. Each one of our hearts, each one of our lives, each one of our families, this church, your church in this region, Lord, we want to see you move. Make us a bold people. Make us a humble people. Make us a dependent people. Make us a people desperate to see you move. Give us faith to expect much. Do this, we pray, for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom in this season
1: of time, in this community. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.